welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, November 1st, 2020 called Beacons of Hope for All the Saints, given by Deacon Aaron Hayes. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So God's grace and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ our Lord on this All Saints Day. There's a outline for you in your bulletin if you would like to look through that. I will go through that. Um, There's three points for you. And if you're following along online or on the projector, of course, it'll be provided for you that way. And so this day in All Saints, it's interesting to kind of think about what that word actually means, but also the heritage, the family history that we can trace throughout all the ages, both before and after Jesus, because those Old Testament saints were trusting in God's promises, waiting for Jesus. We include those also on All Saints Day. And it's important to remember that even though we're blessed here in East Idaho to have great freedoms in which we are surrounded by people who are either Christians or at least close to the Christian worldview, that our brothers and sisters around the world don't always have it so nice. Um, There are people around the world that still face, even to the point of death, persecution um, during these very moments as we're talking today in which gathering together as believers is a death sentence or even owning a Bible could be a problem. And so I'm going to tell you some stories that are a little bit more somber here to start and then hopefully get us to that moment, that great joy in which the assembly of God's people, as we see in Revelation, have all their tears wiped away and all that pain is gone. So in particular, I'm going to focus in on a story that happened in 2015, so only five years ago, and in particular in Libya. I don't know if you remember this, but the Libyan martyrs, and this is an interesting story, and it's sort of fresh for me because in September of this year, the story continued, and I think you'll see why when I read you this story. But to give you a little bit of background on this, this is when ISIS captured a huge section of uh, Libya, and 20 Christians from Egypt, they're Coptic Christians, along with a Kenyan, were captured and told, confess Christ or you will basically be killed. And they confessed Christ. Yeah, reject, sorry, reject Christ or you will be killed. Right, that's, yeah, pastor caught me on there. I'm kind of thinking ahead as I'm reading. But anyways, if you don't reject Christ, you will be killed. That's a better way of saying it. And so here's how the story goes. This is from the Christianity Today and also from the Barnabas Fund. And so five years ago, ISIS executed 21 Christian men on a beach in Libya. Their masked executors stood in all black behind the men who knelt in a line wearing orange jumpsuits. After the Islamic State released a video of their murders, images of this massacre of Coptic Christians reverberated around the world. Before their murders in February 2015, the 21 men were filmed by their captors kneeling in front of black-clothed jihadists, each armed with a knife, on a beach in Sirte, Libya. In the video that was released, the Christians' lips were seen moving, several silently, and many were clearly praying, Lord Jesus Christ in Arabic, in their final, final moments before they were beheaded. In fact, some of them even may have been convincing, uh, confessing the creed that we just said. It's kind of hard to read their lips on the video. It's kind of grainy. But it's possible they were also confessing the Nicene Creed because the Coptic Christians do share that creed. They, they confess that same creed. Now, there's an interesting uh, uh, side story that goes with this. Notice that 20 of them were Egyptian and one of them was not. There's a man named Matthew. Matthew was a Kenyan who was kind of caught up in all this as these people were looking for work. And when he saw the faith of the Coptic Christians and he was challenged by his captors, hey, are you with these guys? He actually responded in amazing faith saying, their God is my God. And so he was also executed. And the story continues. 
the bodies of the 20 Egyptian martyrs were flown to their homeland in May of 2018. However, Matthew's body was unclaimed. In September 2020, authorities in Libya released Matthew's remains to Egyptian Christians to be laid song, uh, rest alongside the other martyrs. So he's not even Egyptian, and he's, and he's, and he's with his, his fellow brothers in the faith. Our joy is now complete, said a mother whose two sons were killed alongside Matthew, who had been working in Sirte as a builder. And then they interview in this story, again, this is Christianity Today, they interview one of the leaders of the Egyptian church, the Coptic Christians in, uh, in England. His name's Archbishop Angelus. This is how he responds to this story. The interesting thing is, we live it, that is the faith, with a sense of resilience, but we have never fallen into a state of victimhood or triumphalism. Neither to the right nor the left, right? We realize that it is the cross of Christ. It's not the end of the road, because there is a resurrection that comes after the cross and the empty tomb. And so it is in that hope that we continue to live. And it's in that hope that we continue to carry that cross, knowing that it will be removed from us. It's pretty inspiring leadership. It's an inspiring story in general, and it gives you the, the, the weight, the gravity of what we celebrate in All Saints. This is really family story. This is, this is our history, the story of our people that is the people of God. And we need stories like this to inspire us and to remind us of this, of a people who were faithful witnesses for Christ and still are, in a sense, on All Saints Day. That word witness, by the way, is where we get the word martyr. It's from martus, the, the word martyr. It literally means witness. So for many of us, it doesn't necessarily involve something this spectacular, but we are all called to be martyrs, witnesses, for Christ, even if it's not dramatic. And that's our first point for the day, is that it's all saints from before, including these five that we just, I mean, not these five, these, uh, these 21 from five years ago that we've encountered. There is only one people of God. So no matter where you are in the timeline, the martyrs that were killed in the Colosseum, that were eaten by lions when Rome was persecuting the church, it includes them. Faithful grandmothers, it includes them. I think of my own grandmother, and this is an interesting story. Some of my high school students, I saw Antonio here, that might recognize the story a little bit, but my grandmother and my grandfather were married with FBI agents at their wedding. To give you an idea of how their, their, their marriage started, they were looking for her dad. Uh, my grandfather was only 17 years old. She was 19 years old. He grew up in the streets of Miami and snuck into the Orange Bowl to play football and ran from the cops. I mean, that's the sort of marriage they had, if that gives you an indication. They were married for over 50 years, raised their children up, all of them in the fear of the Lord, and it's only because of the grace of God that that marriage even worked. And it is only because of the grace of God that I'm in front of you today because of that legacy, that spiritual legacy. She was like a matriarch of the family. That's somebody that we include on All Saints. And I'm sure all of you have stories you can point to people in your lives that are like this. It's also the janitor who nobody knows the name of that loves God, shows up at 7 p.m. and clocks out at 2 in the morning that nobody even knows is there. He's also included in All Saints. It's farmers that are at the plow. It's soldiers that die in a foreign battlefield. It's children who die too soon. It's also famous people like Martin Luther, but also Abraham and Isaac and David and Moses. It's the church fathers. It's all tribes, all nations, tongues and the like. We are all one people of God. Pastor pointed this out to me, and, I, and I'm glad he did when I was working on this sermon today, and that's at the Mount of Transfiguration. It's interesting that Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John, they see Elijah and Moses, and they actually know who they are. Ever think about how interesting that actually is? That the, the Jewish people of the first century AD recognize saints that are hundreds of years before them as alive and talking with Jesus? One people of God fascinating throughout all time and space. When we participate in Holy Communion, 
we are given a foretaste of the great wedding feast to come in which we fellowship with these brothers and sisters who have gone before us. Um, we have these moments, and, and, and in the earlier service, there's a prayer, and this is a, it's kind of an old, ancient prayer of the church, but there's a moment, and it's said before communion, where, where uh, the, the leader of the worship service will say, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you. And notice that phrase there, with all the company of heaven. The musician in me is going to come out here for a little bit here, because even though in our understanding of Scripture, we don't pray to the saints, we do pray with the saints, and our praises and theirs are joined up in a perfect harmony. I wonder what that music is going to sound like. This should be pretty interesting. You know, it would be interesting to have that perspective, that vision there. In the Apostle Paul, you have a text that's printed for you. We have this, this phrase, we are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You'll often hear this paraphrase as to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. It's kind of a way of summing up what Paul's teaching here. Now, in Paul's case, he's saying, hey, I'm going to go about God's business. If you kill me now, I go to heaven. If I'm not, I'm going to do God's work. It's all good either way. There's a confidence in Paul. But the implication here also is that if you die in the Lord, you are with Jesus. And so we really are celebrating those who are with the Lord who have gone before us in the faith. To be absent from the body, like Paul says, is to be present. So being away from the body means we are home with the Lord. And I want you to think just in your own mind. I mean, it could be a little bit of a somber thought for you. What about those who have gone to glory in the last three or four years just here at Grace? Or family members that you might know? Dear saints of God who may have been Christians, a Christian for 90-something years. Or they may have been a baby that was baptized and has the name of God placed on them. Think about all the loss that we've experienced, but yet to die is gain for them, right? Those are the saints that we celebrate on All Saints Day. And so it's not just those great heroes it's those people that are among us right now and have been among us and will continue because it's not going to stop, right? It's appointed to man once to die and then the judgment, right? We all face this. And so this is a present reality, but it's all those saints who have gone before. Next point. There's a, there's a story about a rabbi that goes like this. This is kind of a funny story, and these are typical rabbinical stories. So if you know rabbis, they're, they're witty. They're kind of little clever little moments, and they're pithy. They're kind of like Proverbs. So this is a story about a rabbi in Poland, 19th century rabbi, and an American tourist went to visit his, this famous rabbi. Maybe I'll get something wise. I just want to see where this guy lives and you know, what kind of lifestyle he is and what's he like to talk to. So the American tourist visited him and was astonished to see that his room was only just books, a table, and a bench. That's all that was there. Pretty Spartan existence. Didn't even see a bed. Just books, table, and a bench. And the guy was astonished. Said, rabbi, where's your furniture? And the rabbi replied, interestingly, where's your furniture? The guy was kind of puzzled, kind of scratches his head, says, mine? But I'm just a visitor. I'm only passing through. The rabbi's response was, so am I. It's a reminder that we right now are just passing through as the saints of God. And this, this, this blank that you have here is all saints in the here and now. All saints in the here and now. We are part of this, all saints. The Apostle Paul says, but our citizenship, we are citizens our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not sure you know this. I kind of hinted towards this at the beginning, but in case you didn't realize this, there's an election going on. In case you didn't know that, maybe? Okay. Some of you did. Uh, in fact, in one of my other worlds, and Antonio's up here, and we were joking around. He's like, oh, Mr. Hayes is talking again, so I can take a nap. No, you can't take a nap. Um, but because Mr. Hayes, I'm, I'm the government. I'm the social studies teacher in the high school. Okay. And so I have, I have seen enough polls. I have seen enough simulations and analytical tools. I've seen every talking head on all sides of the spectrum. I've seen social media campaigns. I've seen all the protests. 
for the next 10 presidential elections. I've seen it all. Okay, I've seen it all. And it's very difficult, including for myself as Christians, to not be cut up in this. We kind of panic or rejoice. If candidate A is elected, we'll have peace on earth. Or if candidate B is rejected, then that'll be utopia. Or if we have this judge confirmed or not confirmed, or if this Supreme Court decision comes handed down, or this right legislative makeup, or if we have this mayor or this governor, then we're going to have peace on earth. In fact, if you look, it's, it's interesting, if you look on YouTube videos, you can, you can log this in. I'm, I'm not going to send links or anything. But if you Google on YouTube, the most important election of our lifetime's montage, you'll see people in 2020, this is the most important election of our, montage, of our lifetimes. Go to 2016. This is the most important election of our lifetimes. You go back to 2012, guess what they're saying? Go back to 2000, guess what they're saying? The most important, you think there's a pattern there, (laughs) right? They kind of all say that because they want to motivate us, right? And I'm not trying to judge or or prejudge. Maybe one is more important than the other or something like that. I'm not trying to say that. My point is, is people are so caught up in the moment. And Christians, unfortunately, we're caught up too, if we're really honest with ourselves. And we are losing the fact that this is just temporary. This is not our citizenship. In fact, um, (laughs) we need to be reminded of this dual citizenship. And it's interesting, you hear about dual citizenship. I have two passports, right? One in Germany and one in England, or one in America and one in Canada. We as Christians have dual citizenship. No government here is eternal. No justice system is perfect. No legislature is efficient enough that is immune to human brokenness and conditions. Imagine this for a second. When I, when I went into wedding counseling, um, when I got married to my wife, Jen, and the first thing the pastor said to us is, oh, you guys love each other? Congratulations, you're two sinners getting married. <laughs> I was like, you know, pop the air out of the balloon. <laughs> we were excited, and now we're two sinners getting married, you know. And his point was, is, okay, now that we know this, let's start working on this, right? Let's, let's establish what this could look like by the grace of God. Well, apply this now to elections and democracy and all these other ideas. You have millions of sinners getting together voting for other sinners to rule sinners in a world that's broken by sin. Isn't that what every election is, if we're honest about it? Should we surprise that it doesn't work so well all the time? I mean, we shouldn't be shocked, right? And so how's it going to work? I mean, honestly, how's it going to work out? Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't care. I want to I say that. Now, this is the government teacher. Do I say that people shouldn't vote? No, absolutely, uh, you should be a good citizen out of the love of neighbor. You absolutely should care about justice and wanting virtue and wanting truth and those things in the, in the public sphere. We should want those things. So I'm not trying to discount it, but this perspective is often help for, helpful for us on all saints because our hope is not there. It's, if we put our, place, our hope there, if we do that, it's going to fail. We're going to be disappointed. But if our citizenship in heaven is in heaven, what should our attitudes be? Antonio, I'm picking on you because you were talking to me before, but all my high school students know this about me. I often say this. It's exciting being a Christian. It really is exciting. What should our attitudes and emotions be during this time? Do we have that joy and that peace that comes from having heavenly citizenship? Or does our temporarily earthly citizenship, does that get in the way? If we're honest about it. I'm guilty of this just as the next person. I get all caught up and wrapped up. I looked at this poll and I heard this analysis and this person was really angry and I heard about this court decision. Not that it doesn't matter, but if my citizenship is in heaven, it's okay. We got this, right? It's okay. We know where we're headed. We know what the final solution is. It's not something that we need to really be that concerned about it. It's not catching God by surprise, right? So it's, it's just not. So according to Paul, the ultimate destination of heaven is certainly greater than anything we experience presently. I want to encourage you. This is something, you know, where it's easy to get kind of depressed about all this stuff. I'm going to give you some good news. 
Did you know that the gospel is advancing in a way that you can't possibly imagine around the world? In southeast Idaho and in the west, we kind of lose track of this. We lose track of this. We kind of just look and say, oh, man, it's a post-Christian society, and it's, a, and it's a post-Christian Western civilization. You know, this is really hard to live in. And I'm not discounting that. It is. But think about what's happening around the world. In China, by the year 2030 or 2035, depending on what survey you do, it is possible that Christians will outnumber members of the Communist Party. The gospel is advancing that rapidly, so much that communist leadership is trying to crack down on churches. They're arresting pastors, shutting things down, saying, you have to put a picture of the party leader in your church. I mean, they're, they're that worried because the, the, they realize that Jesus' agenda is not the communist party agenda. And so they're trying to take it over. And so by 2030, 2035, that will absolutely transform that nation. And it already is in many ways. It's just we don't hear about it because the party leadership controls all the avenues of, of disseminating information. It's not just there. Did you know that the confessional Lutheran church, the Malagasy Lutherans in Madagascar, outnumber us, the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod in America? There are three million members, and they're adding members, in the Malagasy Lutheran church. In fact, there's only 20 million people in Madagascar. Three million of them are confessional Lutherans. That's not even counting the churches and other confessions that are biblical and faithful witnesses to Jesus. you imagine how many Christians that would be in the United States if they were that on fire? That would be 40 million Missouri Synod Lutherans in America. Can you imagine 40 million? I mean, that'd be crazy. That'd be a a lot of potlucks and a lot of Oktoberfests, right? The the whole country would shut down for October. Think about 40 million. Everybody would be at Oktoberfest, okay? In Ethiopia, they're baptizing 10,000 people a month. A month. Imagine what the world would look like in the United States if we had 10,000 people just in one church body being baptized every month. Talk about not having enough pastors. Right? We'd just, we just be lucky just to have enough Sunday school teachers. But even all the kids there, we're looking for Sunday school teachers in our numbers. Imagine how many Sunday school teachers they need. That's just around the world. We could look at other countries too, India, the Philippines, all over the world. And we are part of that story in East Idaho, even when we're struggling. We're at a point right now where over 2 billion people currently confess Christ as Lord. Now, how many of them are faithful and how many of them are you know, regular? We could parse that. But the point is, is God's gospel is advancing. That should give us great courage and boldness to see that we're part of that story. After all, in Romans, Paul does say, if God is for us, who can be against us? And if we're laboring with our fellow citizens, seeing how big that picture really is, it should give us a real good sense of joy, a sense of purpose and humility in the grand scheme of things. My challenge for us, and again, I want to let you know that it's me included, that is regardless of what happens in the next several weeks, chances are, by the way, Tuesday is one thing, but we're probably not going to know stuff for several weeks afterwards. It's not going to end on Tuesday. Just, I think that's just kind of what everybody's talking about there. Regardless of what happens, though, or in the West in general, remember where our ultimate citizenship is, and remember that as the saints of God, it is exciting to be a Christian. We are celebrating all saints in the here and now. And then finally, our last point. And I'll just go ahead and just give it to you right away. All saints in the life of the world to come. We quote that in the Creed. That's why I put that there. It's a, it's a reference to the Creed. It's, 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 it's interesting to think about this, and this is a humbling thing for me, is that all of us in this room right now, we will be the saints from before in the same All Saints Day 30 years, 40 years, 50 years from now. Think about this. You could have somebody in the school right now, in our Grace Lutheran School, that could be the next great missionary for the gospel, or the next great pastor, or that faithful janitor, as I mentioned before. We don't know. But those saints are coming after us. There's this legacy. We're part of this long, continuous story in which heaven is amazingly full. And so we will be part of that congregation, and this entirely new generation will be added to God's kingdom. 
Now, this is going to make your brain hurt a little bit because what we get in John, we get the curtain pulled back just a little bit, and we get a little window to the future, and it's outside of time. So in the future, there will be a time where there is no time. I can't quite grasp that because I'm bound by time, right? So it gets a little confusing, but that's what we get. God, is, God created time itself, and we're outside of that. We get that window. We don't have many details about heaven, but we do know what we do know includes this passage from John and also later on in, that, in Revelation. You have that printed for you, and it's on the screen there, but in Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Have you thought about heaven lately? If I'm honest, I don't think about it enough. I'm thinking about the here and now and the temporary things of this world, and I don't think about heaven enough. What's the final destination? I, I, it's not in my brain enough. C.S. Lewis thought about heaven a lot. It was something that was always on his mind. And in particular, a couple of books. One, The Great Divorce, in which there's a bus tour to heaven. It's an interesting allegory. But then also The Problem of Pain. You would think that that's an interesting topic when he's talking about pain, but isn't heaven the solution to pain in many ways? So he talks about it a lot in The Problem of Pain. So in particular, he points out some interesting truths that we forget about in our faith and existence. For example, he says, we are sometimes shy nowadays of even mentioning heaven. We are afraid of the jeer about the pie in the sky and of being told that we're trying to escape from the duty of making a happy world here and now into dreams of a happy world elsewhere. You Christians have your head in the clouds. You're not practical. That's an accusation that he was getting in the 20th century. But he has a good response to that. Either there's pie in the sky or there's not. Um, if there's not, then Christianity is false, for this doctrine is woven into its whole fabric. If there is, then this truth, like any other, must be faced, whether it is useful at political meetings or not. <laughs> if it's real, it doesn't matter if it's useful or not. Is this true? That's the real question. In particular, there are people around that believe in kind of these atheistic competing worldviews, like Marxism, in which heaven is viewed as a distraction. Mark, Mark, Karl Marx once famously said that religion is the opiate of the masses. It's something that it gets people high on. Think about what he's saying. He's like, your faith is like a drug. I need to get you off the drug so you focus right here on political programs. You need to you know, get on board the revolution. Forget about God. Forget about that future stuff. Focus on the here and now. There are people that think that still today, that you Christians are too distracted by heaven. But I think we all know that there's something about this that's, that's not right in this world, right? There's something better. There's something transcendent that needs to make things right. We realize that this is not it. This can't be it. There's got to be something better. As I like to say to my high school students when we talk about Revelation, like this passage and other passages, I've read the ending. We win. I've read the ending. You can read the ending for yourself. Go home right now. Go read the book of Revelation. Get to the ending. Get to Revelation 21. We win. Okay, so more than this, though, and, and, and as much as encouraging that is and as much as it lifts us up, and it should, there's something else about this. The question is, why do we win? And the reason we win is that Christ has already won and triumphed. And because he has won, we can too. On All Saints Day, which is today, let's remember the big story. Not only let, not, Let's not just remember those heroes of the faith. We should do that. Not just those here in the church today and not just those in the future. But even more than those things, let's remember Christ because it is Christ alone and because of Christ that any of this is possible. To God alone the glory. Amen. If you have any questions or comments about this sermon, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.